You're listening to the World Cafe. Hey, it's Kaleo for Sense of Place Chicago, joined by Jim DeRogatis and Greg Cott from Sound Opinions, heard across the country from PRX and made in Chicago for decades. Uh, Jim and Greg, longtime music journalist for the Chicago Sun-Times and Tribune, have been singing the praises of music and debating it as well. They're my guests today. And today, they're making the case for the definitive Chicago album. And... Being that I am from Chicago as well, you've got three people from the Windy City in the room, and none of us sound like Bears fans from Saturday Night Live. So no, I can that's put a that myth. S- yeah, that is we, a myth. We can put that stereotype to rest. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Good. We're big fans, and it's an honor to be on with yeah, you. Yeah, glad to be here. So before we get into the, the great music, I kind of want to, for some of our audience who might not be familiar with you guys, how long have you been in Chicago covering the music in the city? Uh, starting with you, Jim. Oh, it's a good question. I came here in 91 to work for the Chicago Sun-Times, left unwisely for a bit to go to Rolling Stone and get fired for panning Hootie and the Blowfish. Uh, <laughs> came back, and Greg and I have been doing sound opinions ever since. So when was that, Greg? Uh, 99. Greg is, Greg is the keeper of the dates. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to me, it's all just like, we started this a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Greg, how about you? Uh, can you tell us a little bit how long you've been in Chicago? I started living here permanently in eight, uh when I was 18, so basically I've lived in Chicago my entire adult life. I was here every year prior to that because all my relatives came over after World War II and ended up in Chicago. A bunch of Polish immigrants, right? So that's that's where I'm from. That's my stock. And then uh, got hired at the Chicago Tribune 40-some years ago and um, been working, was the music critic there since 1990. So I had 30 years as a music critic there. And then, um, you know, doing various books and other projects. But yeah, pretty much lifelong Chicagoan. There you go. So the bona fides are in order uh, for what you're going to hear about great Chicago music. And uh, before we get into the albums, uh, just sort of broadly, uh, can uh, would you be willing to paint a picture about what makes Chicago's music history slash scene so vibrant, so vital? Well, when you think about the uh, entire genres that originated here, whether it's gospel music in its modern form, the Reverend Thomas A. Dorsey writing a thousand gospel standards, and as Jay-Z said, not just being a businessman, but a businessman starting his own uh, label, his own publishing company, Uh, Curtis Mayfield doing the same, Uh, house music originating here, and, uh, you know, of course, the blues as part of the Great Migration coming from the southern back porch uh, acoustic blues tradition to plug in to be heard on Maxwell Street. Uh, You know, and Chess Records gives us the birth of rock and roll with Chuck Berry, Bo Diddley, Etta James. Um, You know, it is a city that has started many sounds, but has never, as, as I grew up in New Jersey, across the river from Manhattan, Jersey City, you know, it's not ever been, as New Jerseyans say, a place where people think who they are. Despite all these mm-hmm. accomplishments, uh, two cliches hold true. It's the city that works and the city of broad shoulders, uh, which means don't be a poser here. There have been exceptions, Billy Corgan of the Smashing Pumpkins. But but don't act like you're somebody. Just get the work done. And you can do that without the intense media glare in the music capitals of New York, L.A., or Nashville. You can just create here. Yeah, uh, well said. Uh, Greg, do you have anything to add on that? Yeah, absolutely. I would add, I would add jazz to that. Um, oh, yeah. Louis, Louis yeah. Armstrong came here from yeah. New Orleans in the 20s, and the Hot 5 and Hot 7, you know, sides that he recorded were in Chicago, you know, ground floor of what we know as modern jazz. So 
uh, a lot of people don't recognize uh, Chicago as, a, as an incubator uh, the way it is, you know, uh, compared to, say, New York or L.A. or even Nashville or London. Um, the other thing is the independent spirit here. Uh, Jim alluded to that as well. But self-sufficient, uh, very much uh, not only in terms of spirit, but also infrastructure. A lot of independent labels here, a lot of clubs to play live, a lot of uh, places for bohemian, arty types to live relatively uh, inexpensively. So it's a magnet for artists all over the world to come here. So a lot of people here in Chicago aren't necessarily lifelong Chicagoans, but they came here because they knew it was a hospitable environment uh, to make whatever art they wanted to, music included. So uh, it's an incredibly vibrant artistic scene here on, on multiple levels. You both brought an album today to champion as the quintessential Chicago record. Not the band Chicago, although I guess you could have picked one, but uh, oh, all, Lord, of, no. the, uh, all oh. of the uh, albums made by Chicago musicians. Which one best defines it? Not an easy task. But first, we got to, you know, you can't just pick one. So I want, I want a couple of honorable mentions. And uh, what record almost made the top slot for you, Greg? Well, uh, yeah, a, a lot to yeah, consider, yeah. right? <laughs> I mean, it's impossible to just pick one. You were very uh, cruel in inviting us on this show. Very yeah. cruel. It's fun to talk about this stuff because there are so many choices to have. I, I don't think you can talk about Chicago music unless you talk about, you know, Chicago blues. Uh, basically, the urban blues was invented here. Uh, and Muddy Waters at the, at the heart of that with Willie Dixon writing a lot of those songs. But, uh, you know, it's a best of compilation because, you know, back in the 50s, uh, a lot of blues artists weren't really making albums per se. They were making, they were putting out singles. But the best of Muddy Waters in 1958, collection of the singles that he released between 1948 and 1954, is to me a definitive document and probably one of the greatest bands ever assembled. Forget just blues bands, but you know, Hoochie Coochie Man, you know, you've got in, in, recorded it in 1954 with a band that had Willie Dixon on bass, Little Walter on harp. Elgin Evans on drums and Otis Spann on piano, plus Jimmy Rogers and Muddy Waters on guitar. I mean, that was a template for every blues rock band in existence, uh, including the Rolling Stones, who borrowed heavily from, from Muddy. But you know I'm here. And the other record I would mention, uh, again, a singles compilation, and there really isn't a good singles compilation, but just in terms of record making and the influence it had on the world, uh, Frankie Knuckles, the godfather oh, of house yeah. music. Yeah. And I would list like uh, his collaborations with Jamie Principal, Your Love, Baby Wants to Ride, uh, stuff that he did like Tears, the whistle song. Mm -hmm. Absolutely changed the course of music history. And, uh, you know, the home of house music. I remember talking to a record company executive in the nine, early 90s about the rave scene in England. And she goes, yeah, house music, that English uh, sound. <laughs> and I go, no, no, sorry. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't invented in England. In fact, England borrowed heavily from Frankie Knuckles and his peers in the Chicago house scene.
Moving over to Jim, what were some of your honorable mentions? Well, you know, uh, I was just talking in my class at Columbia College Chicago the other day about uh, Liz Fair, and I think Exile in Guyville, uh, part of that renaissance of uh, female musicians asserting their their voice, their sexuality, uh, you know, in in rock in the 90s. Uh, You know, Guyville was the uh, macho name, toxic masculinity a little bit, that uh, Urge Overkill had given the Wicker Park scene. And Liz Fair debuts audaciously with a double album, answering each song on the Rolling Stones' Exile uh, on Main Street, which I thought was all a little pretentious. But the songs are so good. You know, Liz can't really sing. Doesn't really matter. Uh, She was brilliant in in talking about being a young woman uh, in this city in in particular, but in general in the 90s. And then the other one that Greg and I were uh, thumb wrestling over uh, was Curtis Mayfield. You know, we got to talk about Curtis. Uh, born and raised uh, in Cabrini Green, you know, starts out with the kind of doo-wop oriented <laughs> impressions and then goes solo. Kurt Tom Records, his own label, his own publishing. He's a businessman. Uh, and he was brilliant. That debut album, Curtis, uh, you know, driven by Move On Up, an anthem for the civil rights movement, um, source of a great hook later by Kanye West, who, you know, I would have talked about, but let's avoid him at the moment. Um, you know, uh, Curtis Mayfield, that high falsetto, that brilliant guitar, those polyrhythms with the percussion. It's a joyful music, but it's an angry music. And it's also inherently political, even when he's providing the soundtrack to to a close second if you don't go with Curtis you go with the Superfly soundtrack you know this black exploitation depiction of a violent uh, gangster uh, that Curtis's soundtrack has a dialogue with throughout the film saying there are other ways to live you know and we in the black community have other heroes and heroines besides um, this gangster uh, which is a message that we still need and we still hear Darkest of night with the moon there's a set going strong, a lot of things going on. The man of the hour has an air of great power. The dudes have envied him for so long. Oh, super fly. You're gonna make your fortune by and by. But if you lose, don't ask no questions why. The only game you know is do or die. We're hanging out with the guys from Sound Opinions, uh, Greg Cott, Jim DeRogatis, which you can hear at soundopinions.org or across the country on your local public radio station. It's the World Cafe. I'm Kaleo for Sense of Place, but it's time to get into it after hearing about some great Chicago artists and some great Chicago sounds. 
These gentlemen are going to make their case for the the quintessential Chicago record. And, you know, when I got sent over the picks, my first thought was, Jim, you got the tougher sell here, at least in my humble opinion. So I'm going to let you choose. Would you like to make your case first or last? Sure. I know. I'll, I'll make it first. I don't think it's a tough sell whatsoever. Uh, Naked Raygun epitomizes the independent underground spirit in the rock scene in Chicago. Its debut album, Throb Throb, 1985, you know, you had Albini on this show. You know, he was a champion of them early on. Uh, you know, Naked Reagan, part of this is personal, Kaleo, and of course, it, it, it's how it resonates with us as individuals. And this is a very political album in 1985. Why were they Naked Reagan? Because the Brits had given us the Sex Pistols. So this was Naked Reagan. And, <laughs> and you know, uh, those four gents, uh, you know, very political song, Managua. I had the poster of Ronald Reagan with the nuclear clock, five minutes until we begin bombing, on my wall all throughout college. And here's Reagan with a song with only one line of lyric. Hey, you, pretty, pretty boy, pretty, pretty boy, onward to Managua. We were all going to get sent to South America on, on Reagan's, uh, you know, uh, whim of... Um, defending quote-unquote democracy. Tommy by The Who and False Gods and Idols and, and how rock could easily be used to co-opt uh, with a uh, demagogue, uh, you know, a following. You know, Naked Reagan answered that in 85. I don't know. I don't know. Listen now to what I say about the kids of today. Subscribe to them all your fears till they become like you. What poor gods we do make, right? It's about not following, you know, Dylan had said, don't follow leaders, and Reagan, I think, put a, a, a sharpening edge on it in, uh, in its day. And, you know, this was pop punk. This was as catchy as the Buzzcocks. This was the Beatles if they'd had a fuzz box and played twice as fast, which they did in Hamburg, but never mind. We're hanging out with Greg and Jim of Sound Opinions, which you can hear at soundopinions.org. Uh, Greg, what do you what do you think of? Uh, I'm not I'm not saying say something nice about Naked Reagan because it's not hard to do that. But what do you think it, about it, this? It's pick? not hard to twist his arm. Well, there. No, I mean, it, Jim and I have talked about this a long time. I mean, Naked Reagan was a formative band for me. Um, I lived in Chicago at the time when Naked Reagan, Effigies, Big Black, uh, Strike Under were playing every week. 
when the band took the stage, the crowd would inevitably surge forward. And then when the first note was hit, you'd take like a step back because it was just like this <laughs> explosion going yeah. off. But I would have to say for my, my money, uh, Naked Raygun, uh, the All Rise record is the one that I, is my go-to record. I mean, every one of their albums is, is terrific. That's a from close the second for me, yeah. We needed those songs. This, this is the Reagan 80s. We thought we were all going to end, die in a nuclear war. And, um, you know, that and the AIDS crisis, all this stuff swirling around us. And the underground spoke to it in a most uh, direct and eloquent fashion. And Pizzotti was a great, great songwriter, is a great songwriter. Yeah. We're on World Cafe with Greg and Jim of Sound Opinions going over some quintessential Chicago albums. And it's uh, your turn, Greg. Well, absolutely, Coleo. My uh, favorite record, my quintessential Chicago record is also uh, the greatest live album of all time, in my opinion. It's Freedom Highway by the uh, Staple Singers. A a critical, important record, you know, released in 1965 in the middle of the civil rights movement. The title song, Freedom Highway, was written by Roebuck Pop Staples, the patriarch of the band, of the group, weeks after the Selma to Montgomery marches to uh, protest black rights in the South. Martin Luther King was uh, leading these marches and they were, they were attacked. All three of those marches, they finally made it, the, the final march through in March of 65. But meanwhile, black uh, marchers were assaulted by police, uh, by citizens, you know, attack dogs, uh, batons, fire hoses. Fire hoses. They were being uh, verbally abused, and somehow they made it through. So you're really going to war in in many ways without weapons, other than your your feeling of being uh, mistreated. The civil rights movement. The epicenter of that was in many ways Chicago because of the music being created here. King, Martin Luther King understood the importance of music, of, you know, having songs to go into battle with. The words are your, are your weapons. And the songs provided, uh, gave them courage to go, at, go through this, you know, phalanx of uh, people who hated them. The difference, too, though, with, with the Staple Singers and why I consider them a quintessential Chicago group is that a lot of the gospel singers were doing traditional gospel yeah, songs yeah. and re- repurposing them for the rights movement, you know, um, whereas Pops was writing original material, including Freedom Highway. He met King. They would mutually loved each other you know, from afar, you know, Pops listening to MLK's speeches on the radio in Chicago. MLK listening to Staple Singers records put out on BJ in the 50s. They finally met in the early 60s. They had a long meeting after church service by King at his, at his church in the South. 
And Pops came home to the family and said, if he can preach it, we can sing it. And he basically putting, I wanted to put what MLK embodied and what he was talking about in his speeches into our songs. The combination of music and message has never been more powerful than on this record. And I think it's the quintessential staple singles record and one of the great, great records of all time. Yeah, recorded at Chicago's new Nazareth Church on the South Side, an mm-hmm. incredible, incredible record. And yeah, I, I live for those moments where you kind of get to hear what it feels like in the room. When they started making that transition from you only hear the singers to no, we want you to hear the audience as well, because, you know, you genuinely feel like you're a part of it. Uh, we're hanging out with Greg and Jim from Sound Opinions, which you can hear at soundopinions.org for Sense of Play Chicago. You mentioned uh, Freedom Highway, uh, Greg. Is there any other song that you want to highlight that we could play uh, as well beyond that? You know, obviously some great traditionals like We Shall Overcome and When the Saints Go Marching In? Absolutely. Freedom Highway, you know, as a song, you know, it, it starts with that great uh, Pops guitar riff and the hand claps come in. And and a lot of it is about everybody's, everybody's play. You know, the, audio, the congregation is as much a part of the song as the group on stage. And the same is true with Help Me Jesus, which is a, a 10-minute track. And I don't expect you to play all 10 <laughs> minutes of it. It's well worth hearing. But there's a moment where Pops sort of feels the spirit, you know, um, and it's kind of like he, he, he see, you know, uh, some of these sisters began to moan. He was talking about the going to church in the South when, as a young boy. He grew up in Mississippi on Dockery Farm. And, you know, he would say, I, and I saw my soul has got that moan. He kept on, he kept on praying and she kept on moaning. My soul has got to moan. And, you know, all of a sudden the, the crowd is just like, you know, um, exuberant they're they're feeling the spirit too and and the song kicks in they you know you can feel the hand claps coming in and suddenly you have this incredible goosebump raising moment in the song it's about you know four and four and a half minutes into the into the track this recording is that you get those moments usually those are cut out like when you get a a live album they chop it up and edit it and you know everything is kind of very clean this is the whole thing you know and you get the whole experience of being in that church at that moment um so i think it's an incredible document of of a, a really important period in our history yeah, they were ahead. Of, they were ahead of the curve with the sort of reality thing where people <laughs> know people actually want to be let in to hear all the behind the scenes banter and everything like that. A living document. It's very cool. Well, and 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 blurring so many genres. You know, are they soul? Are they funk? Are they gospel? Are they R and B? Yes. 
<laughs> you know, musically. And also then, you, I mean, you don't have to be a believer. And, and I'm not. I mean, a song like I'll Take You There, I'll Take You Where? I'll Take You to uh, Physical Transcendence, Spiritual Transcendence, A Better World. Uh, you know, it, there are so many layers of meaning to the best Staples song. And Greg wrote uh, the definitive biography of, of Mavis and, and her sisters and, and her brother and her dad, uh, you know, uh, hell of a book there, Cot. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a hell of a opportunity. I believe that's what we call a plug, uh, here. Uh, yeah, uh, we're, we're, we're fierce competitors, but I, you know, my, my book about a Chicago artist, uh, uh, it was about R. Kelly, uh, somebody I cannot listen to for pleasure. Uh, sure. Uh, staples make my life better. Oh, we are here on World Cafe with Jim DeRogatis and Greg Cott of Sound Opinions, which you can find at soundopinions.org for decades, talking music. Greg, Jim, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. It was a blast. Our pleasure. Our pleasure, absolutely. Thank you for having us on. We're back in a minute with more World Cafe. <laughs> 